Um, we are so glad you are here tonight. Um, and this little recording device, the good thing about it is that every week the teaching is recorded for you. So if you're not here, um, or if you're just, you wanna, I guess I better use this microphone. Or if you just want <clears throat> to be able to um, hear it again, I know that's highly unlikely, but <laughs> you never know. So if you just want to be able to hear it again, you can, it, it will be there. It will be posted online every Friday morning, and um, we will send you a link, and we will, you'll be getting an email at the end of this week, and it will have the link in it for you to just click on that link, and then you'll know exactly where to go if you want to hear that recording on any given week, okay? All right, so since Amber has prayed for us, I'm going to just dive right in here. Um, we are in a study this year called A Life of Influence. As soon as it moves. Hello. Oh, now we went too far. Okay, let's go back. There we are, Life of Influence. So this year we are studying the books of Ruth and Esther. And um, we're starting this fall. In the fall, we'll cover Ruth. And in the spring, um, starting in January, we will move to Esther. Um, we are taking a deep dive into both of these books, not just, you know, we've all, a lot of us, I'll say, have heard these stories since we were little people in Sunday school. And so we think of these stories in a certain way. But the truth is that each of these stories has a lot of depth and meaning to them that is there in the scripture. And so this year, as we go through Ruth and Esther, we're going to do our best to make sure we don't miss any of that depth and meaning that God put there for us. So we're about right now to go into Ruth. And this is a book that describes a life of influence. Ruth lived a life of influence. But the bottom line is, and I want you to remember this, and I echo Amber's words about taking notes, because tonight I'm going to go over some things with you that if you will write these down and then you've got them in your book, you will hear them over and over again throughout the year, or they may be some things that you're going to want to go back and reflect on because you're going to think, oh, wait, she told us something about that when we first started. So... Write things down, and, and it also will help you to remember what you're learning whenever you write it down. Okay, but the bottom line, okay, so here's one of the first things I want you to remember about the book of Ruth. Ruth definitely lives a life of influence, but there is one overriding influencer in the book of Ruth and the book of Esther, and that is God Almighty. He uses people as his instruments but he is the one who sovereignly uses the events in these individual lives for the good of his kingdom. Now, I want to tell you a little bit to start with about a fellow that you probably have never heard his name. His name is Jimmy Simonoff. And Jimmy was a guy who um, loved to work in his garage. He just loved to, I say when my husband does this, I call it futzing. You know, he's just kind of out there doing we don't really know. That's exact. That's right. Feel free to talk to me anytime you want to, okay? And so Jimmy was one of these guys, and so he was out in his garage, and as a result of being in his garage all the time, he was not hearing the doorbell, 
deliveries were coming, you know, stuff like this. And he never knew that the people were even standing at the door. So he decided what he needed was something that alerted him to somebody at the door. And so he, um, he went um, online, of course, looked, 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 could not find anything that did that. So he decided, well, I'll just, you know, sort of wire something in here or, or create something with a little trigger. So that's exactly what he did. He just created this little device that connected to the Wi-Fi in his house and to his doorbell. And every time somebody rang the doorbell, it would tell him that the doorbell rang and it would show a little picture of the person standing at his front door. Now, um, you know, we often say mother is the necessity, I'm sorry, necessity is the mother of invention. And this was the case for Jimmy. And once he got this put together, his wife especially loved it because then when she heard the, the alert that the doorbell was ringing, she could see who was at the door before she answered it, which was, of course, a security thing for her. Okay, so the story goes on, and what happens is Jimmy begins to think, you know, this is a decent invention, so he goes on Shark Tank. We've all seen Shark Tank, right? All right, he goes on Shark Tank. He demonstrates his product, which he has named the DoorBot, and not a single shark is even remotely interested in this product. They are like, they tell him, this will never sell. This won't even sell on QVC. Just, I mean, and you can imagine Kevin O'Leary being the one who was exceptionally clear about this, you know, and saying, you know, give it up, buddy. This is going nowhere. So you can imagine their surprise when three years later, Jimmy Siminoff rebranded the doorbot as the ring doorbell. You knew where I was going. Some of you didn't you? Right. Okay. So he rebrands it, calls it the ring doorbell. It became the highest selling product ever on QVC. And then five years later, he sold the ring doorbell company for $1.5 billion. Okay. Now how's that for a story, right? Okay. But the thing about Jimmy Siminoff is, truthfully, he's like a Cinderella story. You know, he's the story of the person who, he's a nobody. He's just hanging around in his garage trying to solve a little problem. And just like Cinderella, nobody's paying any attention to him. Nobody notices him. He's not a great dresser. He doesn't do anything really exciting until the day that he thinks to rebrand this product, probably with someone else's encouragement, just like Cinderella's fairy godmother saw something in her that made her want to send her to the ball. And what happens in stories like this is that we are drawn into this because we are drawn to the idea that someone who is, is not a big deal becomes a big deal, but not so much because they come up with just the right way to look or act or something, but because they exhibit certain characteristics of perseverance, kindness, gentleness, loyalty. They stick to it until they get to the end. And so I can tell you today that Ruth, in her little inconsequential life in the country of Moab never would have imagined in a million years that 2,500 years later, we would be sitting in a room 
reading about her and studying her story. She would just never have imagined it. And part of the reason for that is that Ruth is just a little Moabite girl. She's nobody. She is truly inconsequential to her own people. And when a peasant Jewish family who is looking for food moves to Moab, she joins this family because she marries one of their sons. Now, the father of this family, the head of this family, is a man named Elimelech. Elimelech, okay? Everybody say Elimelech. Elimelech. Okay. And Elimelech's issue is that Elimelech forgot that he was living in the promised land. He forgot that God had made provision for the nation of Israel and that that was where he was supposed to stay. It was where he belonged. And so when a famine came into the land, Elimelech decided, I'm out of here. And truly, it was an act of disobedience because he moved his family to a pagan land, to a land where a false god, idols, were worshipped. And he was truly moving his family to a place where it was completely unhealthy for them spiritually. So what we want to do now is I want to give you some of the context and the history around the book of Ruth so that you understand what's going on as you read this story. If that's my husband calling, will you tell him to wait a while? It shouldn't be doing this. Okay, that's where we want to be right there. Okay, so the first thing I want you to notice about the context and the history of this book is this. It, it happens during the time of the judges. Now, a lot of you, except those of you who have only been here for one day, um, might remember that Chris Payne preached a sermon not too long ago. He preached a series that went through the book of Judges. Do some of you remember that? Okay, so when, when he preached through the book of Judges, um, what we learned at that point in time was that the judges were men and women who got appointed in the nation of Israel to deliver them and rescue them from literally invading armies, from foreigners who were coming into Canaan, coming into the promised land, and they were creating huge problems for the Israelites. And even though it's the stories of the men and women who God appointed. The truth is that throughout the book of Judges, there is the same theme that we will see in the book of Ruth, and that is that God is ultimately the hero and the deliverer in this story. The Israelites are in a time of religious and moral decay. There's tremendous disunity among the people, and so there's a pattern that started. And the pattern is, the pattern is, the pattern is, no, there, there's the pattern. Okay, so what would happen is the people would get comfortable. I need to not walk away. The people would get comfortable with what was going on. And what happens to us when we get comfortable? We start to take God for granted. Right? We start to forget where all those blessings come from, where our safety and our provision comes from. So the people would start slacking off 
and they would rebel against God. And then at that point, God would allow a foreign nation to invade and the people would be oppressed. And oftentimes, one of the end results of that is exactly what's going on in the book of Ruth. Things would get difficult in the land, and there would be a famine. And then the people would cry out to God, and they would repent of their sin and say, we're, we're so sorry, you know, we've headed down the wrong way here. We want to turn around. And then God would use one of the judges to deliver them, and things would be peaceful and spiritually healthy for a while, and then boom, we would start forgetting again and the rebellion would take place, and here we go. We're back on the cycle. Okay, so that cycle is what was going on when this famine took place that made Elimelech decide to move to a country called Moab, and throughout the book of Ruth, you will hear, you will read Ruth referred to as, almost every time you see her name, it's going to say Ruth the Moabite. Okay, so it continues to label her as this girl who has come from this country. So the next question we need to answer is, who are the Moabites? And I need to tell you, this is a really ugly story, okay? This is one of those stories that we think, I can't believe they put this in the Bible, but it's just the truth of man and his depravity. All right, so you will recall, or um, maybe you're learning for the first time, and that's great, that when God wanted to establish the nation of Israel, he called a man by the name of Abraham. And he asked Abraham to move from a country called Ur and come over into a new land where he would begin to establish this nation. And one of the people traveling with Abraham was his nephew, Lot. And their families grew, and their livestock grew. And once they had arrived, it became apparent that they could not live in exactly the same place because there just wasn't room for everybody. There wasn't enough grass for the cattle. There, wasn't, there just wasn't enough. And so Abraham said to Lot, let's divide up here. You choose. They were up on a high plain. He said, you choose where you want to go, this land over here or this land over here. So, and they knew something about the people in each of those places. And so Lot made a very tricky choice. He chose the land that looked green and lush, but he chose the land where the people, where the people who were living there were evil. They were not good people. And so you may remember the, the name of the two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, okay, which is in the area where Lot was living. And Lot ultimately had to be rescued from Sodom and Gomorrah. God sent two angels to do that. And as they were leaving, they weren't supposed to look back. Lot's wife looks back, and she's turned into a pillar of salt. salt. Good. And so now there's no mother in this family. It's Lot and his two daughters. And they move to a little place called Zor. And Zor is nowheresville, okay? It's very small. They're living in a cave outside of Zor, and his daughters start to get worried. And they think, we're never going to have any children. We're never going to have a family line to carry this on. So they hatch a plan, and here's the ugly part. They hatch a plan, and they say, let's get our father drunk two nights in a row, so drunk that he won't even remember what's going on, and then 
We'll each go in and sleep with him on one of these nights, and then we'll be able to bear a child. And it works. It works. It's yucky, but it worked. And so what happened was his oldest daughter gave birth to a son, and she named him Moab. And thus we have the Moabites. And the younger daughter gave birth to a son named Ben-Ami, and they became the Ammonites. So Elimelech's original plan to move his family into Moab means that he is now putting his family in the middle of these people who have descended from Lot in an incestuous relationship. And he's doing this at the very moment in time when the children of Yahweh should be living in loyalty and obedience to God. But he takes them and he goes, and what ends up then is that his two sons marry Moabite women, and everyone in this land is worshiping a false god by the name of Shamash. Okay, so how's that for a, a colorful little story? All right, the last thing that I want to point your attention to, just very briefly that's of a historical nature, is the references in this book to kingship. First of all, Elimelech's name means God is king. Interesting that a man whose name means God is king would pick up and leave the very land that God had provided for him. But, you know, we all do funny things. The most likely author of this book is the prophet Samuel. And Samuel is the one that God will appoint a little bit later in time, and he is the one who finds David in a family of lots of brothers, and he, as an instrument of God, picks David out to be the next king of Israel. Now, here's the important part. Ruth is going to become the great-grandmother of David. And so this whole concept of kingship throughout the book of Ruth is evidenced because we are studying the lineage of Jesus Christ. And we're really studying the not-so-pretty family history of King David. But nevertheless, God has a plan. And he is leading through all these events to the way that he will save the nation, the way that he will eventually save the Gentiles, and the way that he will bring Jesus Christ to be the savior of the world. Don't lose that thought. Now, we've got some themes in this book, and um, we're, we're going we're to be a little bit later in your groups, ladies, because we started a little late tonight, but don't worry. I'm wrapping up here, okay? So there are some themes in this book. There's one overarching theme. And there it is. God is the purposeful author and hero of our story. He is also the author and the hero of Ruth's story. He defines Ruth's identity and he defines the identity of every one of us sitting in this room and he invites us as well to live lives of influence. So when you think about that overarching theme, 
It will be exemplified really in every character in this story. And here's the gist of it. Everything that happens in their lives, everything that happens in my life and your life is either allowed or ordained by God as he leads us to where he wants us to be. And that's exactly what you'll see in the book of Ruth. You will see his hand over all the events that are going on. Now we've got four key words. There we go. All right, so the first two of these words are attributed to God. The things that we want you to remember for tonight, just jot this down. You will hear more about this every week as we go through the teachings. God is author and hero. As author, we're talking about who God is. And this word will demonstrate God's governance over all things in this story. It will show us the stunning skill with which he weaves the details and sometimes even tragedies of people's lives together for their salvation. It will also show the scope of his love and his grace for them. This is the same God that has saved his people through dramatic events. The parting of the Red Sea, speaking the world into existence, raising Jesus from the dead. He is intimately involved in every decision by either allowing it or ordaining it. And so he knows what's going on with Elimelech and his little family as they go to Moab. And God superintends those events until finally in destitution, two of the women will have to return to Bethlehem. But at no point in this story is God not present and working. Just like at no point in my story or your story is God not present and working. Secondly, he's the hero. This is what he does. Nowhere in the Old Testament will God give us a clearer picture of the role that Jesus will play as our Redeemer. It's called a foreshadowing or a type of Jesus Christ. And, and, and that really, that sounds kind of tricky, but all that means is that we're going to be looking at an example of a real life, a human life, that shows us, at least in part, what Jesus' life is going to look like when he comes. So it's almost like it's, um, it's giving us a look into the future. And when we see that, what we'll see is a man of very noble character who becomes the rescuer in this story. Now, beyond that human picture, though, keep, keep this thought in your mind. Don't forget this. We also are seeing God overall as the redeemer and the author of our salvation and the sacrifice for our sins. Okay, these last two words relate to us. Identity and influence. Our identity is who we are. And ladies, I have to tell you, there is no true identity for any of us apart from our relationship with Jesus Christ. It just doesn't exist. This little family we're going to study about, they learn this the hard way. They walk away from the promised land. They walk away from God. But ultimately, what does God do? He leads them right back to where they were. 
There's many references in the book of Ruth to their earthly family, to the nation they belong to, and how all of that relates to their spirituality. But by their faith and by the covenant that God has made with his people, their true identity is in the one true God. And Ruth is also an example of an outsider who will find her home among God's children because of God's grace. We find our true identity not with the influencers that we follow, not with who our earthly relatives are or where we are. We find our identity through our relationship and commitment to Jesus Christ. Last and final word, influence. So our influence is what we do. And Ruth's life will have an influence of which she is totally aware. She has no idea while she's living in the humble town of Bethlehem what God is doing through her and how that's going to impact the future of every single person who will believe in Jesus Christ as Lord. But here's the key. Ruth is obedient. Ruth is listening. And so he, she puts herself in a place where God can use her in mighty ways. Now, I don't want you to walk away even tonight or any other night as we're studying Ruth and think, I'm not Ruth. You know, God isn't going to use me in the same way that he's used Ruth. What, what influence am I possibly going to have that's anything like this? And here's why I don't want you to think that. Let's go back for a minute to our overarching theme. Hello. There we go. God is the purposeful author and hero of our story. He is, he defines our identity and invites us into lives of influence. So you see that statement right there, you're going to hear it over and over again because here's what we want you to know before we finish the book of Ruth. We want you to know that that is a true statement for every single one of us. He defines our identity as his children, and he sets in front of us the people, the places, and the times that we will influence other people. All right, so we're wrapping up here. So I want you to focus on the fact that you've probably heard this story before, and you probably heard it as a love story and this wonderful little tale of a young woman who is saved by a a noble and gracious guy, and he rescues her and her mother-in-law. But here's the reality. This story is the filling in of David's family history, which becomes the ancestry and genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it is the story of the work of God within a nation and within individual lives of two destitute women who he has chosen to be instruments in his plan. That's what this really is a story about. In Ruth's day, the headlines on the evening news in Israel would have covered the exploits of the judges, what somebody had done that was powerful and mighty. Or they might have um, been headlines about all the damage that was being done by the foreign invading armies. I can tell you no mention would have been made of this little Moabite woman and her mother-in-law who returned to Bethlehem. The only people who would have been aware 
and noticed were the few friends that they still had living there who were glad to see them return. Yet, in these lives, you are about to see God's ultimate provision for the salvation of all of his children. Let's pray before you go to your groups. Lord, we, um, we thank you tonight that you've given us the energy and the desire to be here to study your word. Lord, may we be challenged. May we learn more about you. And Father, we just look forward with anticipation to what the rest of this fall study in the book of Ruth will show us and teach us. We ask you to open our hearts and our minds. And I pray your blessing now, Lord, on all the groups as they go and meet for the first time. And we ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.